We give thanks for all who have led us in worship this morning, especially this incredible fellowship choir. How amazing to be blessed by their worship leadership. Today I'll be preaching from Matthew 6, 25 through 34 in a sermon entitled, Considering the Lilies. Hear these words now. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what will I eat, or what will I drink, or what will I wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Although I know many of you well, I have not spoken to each of you this morning before worship. So I have no idea if this particular day and in this particular hour, you have anything that is adding to your worries, even a little bit. I don't know if the current state of the economy has given you the jitters. I don't know if national and international events concern you. I don't know if conflicts among friends or health issues for you or loved ones have beset any of you with worry. But I do know that even people of great faith have moments of anxiety. Perhaps you need, as I do sometimes, a chance to consider the lilies. So let's just sit at the feet of Jesus and do just that. Notice that Jesus' sermon touches upon perhaps the chief cause of worry, money. Not much has changed in the last 2,000 years. Whether you think of yourself as a have or a have-not, you can probably trace a great deal of stress in your life to the task of surviving financially or striving financially. Jesus' sermon clearly says that we can pursue God's purposes only when we are not possessed by our possessions. But as I look further into this part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, I actually find something troubling. I agree with his point that materialism is not the way to serve God and is a good way to increase stress. But to be honest, there is part of this scripture passage that doesn't quite ring true to me. I want to push back against the text to get deeper into it. I want to question Jesus' assumption that the God who clothed the lilies so resplendently will clothe us too. That's what Jesus suggests, but is it true? I want to call to Jesus' attention 
that there are plenty of ragged or naked people around the world that God forgot to dress. Further, Jesus' observation that the Heavenly Father feeds the birds and so will feed us makes me want to object. But Jesus, birds go hungry sometimes. Sometimes birds do go hungry, and so do children. Others might worry a bit that telling people blithely that God will feed and clothe them could encourage laziness and freeloading. Besides all that, this passage seems to praise brainless plants for their lack of concept of the future. Of course the lilies don't worry. They lack that capacity. When I was five years old, my family vacationed on the South Carolina coast, which is a fancy way of saying we went to Myrtle Beach. One day, my parents left my younger siblings and me at a daycare center while they went to tour a new resort being built in the area. I'm sure that we received good care that day. But this vast facility was so institutional and so large, it seemed that, to me that they were warehousing children. I cried the entire time we were there. The woman who kept telling me to stop crying just intimidated me rather than calmed me. At one point, she gestured to my three-year-old brother and my one-year-old brother playing contently nearby and tried to shame me into cheerfulness by saying, look how nice they're behaving and you're the big five-year-old crying like a baby. I replied, not in my finest moment, well, they're just too stupid to know to be scared of you. <laughs> so this week, I have considered while reading the passage for today, that the contented confidence of lilies and of sparrows is likewise misplaced. So I want to tell Jesus that, though I really appreciate his attempt at assurance, the worst way to calm a worried soul is to tell her not to worry. I mean, it's the worries of the world like you and me who work hard enough so the rest of the world doesn't have to worry, right? Rather than decreasing my worry, this text that has gentled many an anxious heart kind of agitates me. If you read this passage literally, one would begin to think that Jesus was preaching toxic positivity. Toxic positivity is when people say things like, oh, don't worry, don't be so negative, think happy thoughts, try to look on the bright side, everything happens for a reason. Or my favorite, well, it could be worse. People call this toxic positivity because these kinds of statements tend not to actually help people who are going through difficult things. Life is difficult and many of us have real worries, worries that don't just magically go away if someone tells us not to worry, not even if that someone is Jesus. So if Jesus isn't just dispensing to toxic positivity here, what is he doing? How is this scripture good news? I think part of the answer involves whom these words are for. Jesus' words here are part of his Sermon on the Mount. Just a few moments earlier in this sermon, Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And then, right before our Do Not Worry passage, Jesus says, you can't serve both God and money. 
Jesus isn't just saying, don't worry in general. He's speaking to a particular kind of worry here. Worry about not having enough material stuff. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? He's speaking about material stuff and he's speaking to a particular group of people. People who have enough stuff that it's easy to want to store it all up, to want to gain more and more of it so they can stockpile the extra, storing up treasures on earth where moths and vermins destroy. I don't think Jesus is speaking here to people who are struggling to pay rent or utility bills or to buy groceries. He isn't telling those people, just don't worry, at least not without also doing something to take care of their needs. I think Jesus is mostly speaking here to those who have plenty, but who still worry, as we all tend to do. After all, everything in our society is geared towards this kind of continued, ongoing, chronic worry. Everything in the systems we live in tell us, don't be content with what you have. You need more. Look, that person has more. Don't you want what they have? Keep working harder and longer to get more. Don't complain or question the system. Keep storing, keep stockpiling, keep accumulating. Never be content. This is the fuel our society runs on, and it's also killing us. This week, as rescuers race to find a handful of wealthy people and explorers who vanished after launching a mission to survey the Titanic, another disaster at sea that's feared to have left hundreds of people dead has been swept from the spotlight. Last week's sinking of a fishing boat crowded with migrants trying to get from Libya to Italy sparked arrest, violent protests, and questions about authorities' failure to act or find a long-term solution to the issue. But many human rights advocates are frustrated that the world seems to have already moved on and that the resources and media attention being dedicated to the Titan rescue efforts far outweigh those for the sunken migrant ship. Here is a perfect, though horrifying and disgusting contrast of the haves and the have-nots. Hundreds of people fleeing a war-torn nation for freedom and life did not have the means to do it safely, while billionaires threw a lot of money at the chance to be a part of an ocean thrill ride for fun. But at the end of both terrifying events, both the billionaires and the migrants were all left without oxygen. And all of this unimaginable loss could have been avoided. Because when people who have bought into the system take a step back, and begin to follow Jesus into a life not just focused on storing up material stuff, these people are freed to live bigger, fuller, more interesting and beautiful lives. As Jesus says, life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Because the other thing that also happens when people who have more than enough learn not to worry and stockpile is that their extra resources are freed up. Their resources are no longer hoarded for themselves, but are freed up to be shared with their community. And in this way, the whole community begins to find that their needs are met. The whole community begins to find that in reality, not just in a toxic positivity way, no one needs to worry about not having enough material stuff. All this not worrying, of course, is easier said than done. How do we make this transition 
from stockpiling for ourselves to sharing generously with others. This can apply to anything we have, really, whether that's money, food, or clothing, or gifts, skills, or insight, or a listening ear, or whatever it may be. Everyone has something to offer. How do we learn to live in this not worrying, interconnected, generously sharing, giving and receiving, mutual thriving kind of way? Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. Consider the lilies of the field. Consider the lilies. Living beings like birds and wildflowers are exactly the kind of thing we tend to ignore when we are focused on striving to build up wealth beyond what we need. Birds and wildflowers are the kind of things we tend to overlook and undervalue while we're busy running around in circles on the capitalist hamster wheel. After being frustrated reading Jesus' words earlier, I took a step back and read it poetically, and everything changed. And indeed, there is scholarly evidence that this beloved section of the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus is quoting from an ancient aromatic poem. Here's how I think this poetic passage is meant to operate. Readers see the birds of the heavens and the lilies of the fields as symbols of God's graciousness. We're to imagine the iconic sparrow or lily and in a sense, meditate on that image until like a repeated mantra, it calms our spirit. We're to treat these symbols not as scientific evidence of providential care, but as conveyors of a felt truth of God's goodness. It's not a literal fact that all birds are fed, but based on the fact that these creatures have no worries, fears maybe, but no worries, Jesus tells a deeper spiritual truth that lives aimed at ushering in God's reign of peace are not anxious, that taking one day at a time is important for sanity, and that worrying never ha helps matters anyway. Sometimes I need to let the images rather than the words speak to my heart. Sometimes I need to turn off the worrying part of my brain and consider the lilies. Jesus see the birds and the lilies, and he invites us to see them too. When Jesus says, consider the lilies, that's actually a pretty strong word in the Greek. It could be translated as examine carefully, observe well, or learn thoroughly. Jesus says, examine the lilies carefully, learn thoroughly from them. Jesus invites us to consider, what might these lilies teach us? the ones who don't toil or spin and yet are clothed beautifully? What can we learn about value, about trust, about connectedness with living beings around us, about worth and worthiness, about beauty? What can we learn about growth, about how to live as a part of God's creation? Spending time in nature often tends to bring a sense of peace reminding us of beauty and wonder of a bigger world than our worries. I think Jesus knows this and invites us to consider the sparrows and the lilies. And I think Jesus also meant to redirect our attention from the places it often tends to go. Jesus helps us sit at the feet of a different teacher from the people in our society that tend to look at. He invites us to learn to learn thoroughly from God's creation, 
to let the birds and the lilies teach us how we might live. Jesus knows there are real, legitimate things to worry about. He says towards the end of our passage, tomorrow will bring worries of its own. He also says this, today's trouble is enough for today. He says, in effect, be present in the moment. Be present with today's troubles. Don't turn away from today's suffering in our world, in our communities, in the lives of those we love, in our own lives. Be present today. And Jesus also says this, seek first the kingdom of God. He says, in effect, I'm building a different kind of kingdom. In this kingdom, you don't have to strive for more. In this kingdom, we look to the birds and we look to the lilies to teach us how to live. In this kingdom, we don't stockpile, but we share. And as everyone shares, everyone has enough. Jesus invites us to join him in this kind of kingdom, in this kingdom of peace, in this kingdom of sharing, this kingdom of justice. Jesus sees the birds and the lilies, and he invites us to see them too, because it is there that we find peace and community and care, care enough for ourselves and care enough to share for the world. Amen.